Chapter One, Part One of Junior Classics, Volume Two: Folk Tales and Myths. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by phone. Junior Classics, Volume Two: Folk Tales and Myths by William Patton. Stories from Northern Sagas, Part One: The Northman's Story of How All Things Began by e m wilmot buxton once upon a time before ever this world was made there was neither earth nor sea nor air nor light but only a great yawning gulf full of twilight to the north of this gulf lay the home of mist a dark and dreary land out of which flowed a river of water from a spring that never ran dry as the water in its onward course met the bitter blasts of winter from the yawning gulf, it hardened into great blocks of ice which rolled far down into the abyss with a thunderous roar and piled themselves one on another until they formed mountains of glistening ice. South of this gulf lay the home of fire, a land of burning heat, guarded by a giant with a flaming sword which, as he flashed it to and fro before the entrance, sent forth showers of sparks and these sparks fell upon the ice blocks and partly melted them so that they sent up clouds of steam and these again were frozen into hoar-frost which filled all the space that was left in the midst of the mountains of ice then one day when the gulf was full to the very top this great mass of frosty rime warmed by the flames from the home of fire and frozen by the cold airs from the home of mist came to life and became the giant emir with a living moving body and cruel heart of ice now there was as yet no tree nor grass nor anything that would serve for food in this gloomy abyss but when the giant emir began to grope around for something to satisfy his hunger he heard a sound as of some animal chewing the cud and there among the ice hills he saw a gigantic cow from whose udder flowed four great streams of milk and with this his craving was easily stilled but the cow was hungry also and began to lick the salt off the blocks of ice by which she was surrounded and presently as she went on licking with her strong rough tongue a head of hair pushed itself through the melting ice Still the cow went on licking, until she had at last melted all the icy covering, and there stood fully revealed the frame of a mighty man. Ymir looked with ice of hatred at this being, born of snow and ice, for somehow he knew that his heart was warm and kind, and that he and his son would always be the enemies of the evil race of the frost giants. So indeed it came to pass. For from the sons of Ymir came a race of giants whose pleasure was to work evil on the earth. And from the sons of the Iceman sprang the race of the gods, chief of whom was Odin, father of all things that ever were made. And Odin and his brothers began at once to war against the wicked frost giants, and most of all against the cold-hearted Ymir. Now when, after a hard fight, the giant Ymir was slain, such a river of blood flowed forth from his wounds that it drowned all the rest of the frost giants save one who escaped in a boat with only his wife on board 
and sailed away to the edge of the world. And from him sprang all the new race of frost giants, who at every opportunity issued from their land of twilight and desolation to harm the gods in their abode of bliss. When the giants had been thus driven out, all father Odin set to work with his brothers to make the earth, the sea, and the sky, and these they fashioned out of the great body of the giant Ymir. Out of his flesh they formed Midgard, the earth, which lay in the centre of the gulf, and all round it they planted his eyebrows to make a high fence which should defend it from the race of giants. With his bones they made the lofty hills, with his teeth the cliffs, and his thick curly hair took root and became trees, bushes, and the green grass. With his blood they made the ocean, and his great skull, poised aloft, became the arching sky. Just below this they scattered his brains, and made of them the heavy grey clouds that lie between earth and heaven. The sky itself was held in place by four strong dwarfs, who supported on their broad shoulders as they stand east and west and south and north. The next thing was to give light to the new-made world. So the gods caught sparks from the home of fire, and set them in the sky for stars, and they took the living flame and made of it the sun and moon, which they placed in chariots of gold and harnessed to them beautiful horses with flowing manes of gold and silver. Before the horses of the sun they placed a mighty shield to protect him from its hot rays, but the swift moon steeds needed no such protection from its gentle heat. And now all was ready, save that there was no one to drive the horses of the sun and moon. This task was given to Mani and Sol, the beautiful son and daughter of a giant and these fair charioteers drive their fleet steeds along the paths marked out by the gods, and not only give light to the earth, but mark up months and days for the sons of men. Then Allfather Odin called forth Night, the gloomy daughter of the cold-hearted giant folk, and set her to drive the dark chariot drawn by the black horse, Frosty Mane, from whose long wavy hair the drops of dew and hoar-frost fall upon the earth below. After her drove her radiant sun, Day, with his white steed shining mane, from whom the bright beams of daylight shine forth to gladden the hearts of men. But the wicked giants were very angry when they saw all these good things, and they set in the sky two hungry wolves, that the fierce grey creatures might forever pursue the sun and moon and devour them, and so bring all things to an end. Sometimes, indeed, or so say the men of the north, the great rules almost succeed in swallowing sun or moon, and then the earth children make such an uproar that the fierce beasts drop their prey in fear. And the sun and moon fleet more rapidly than before, still pursued by their hungry monsters. One day, so runs the tale, as Manny, the man in the moon, was hastening on his course, he gazed upon the earth and saw two beautiful little children, a boy and a girl, carrying between them a pail of water. They looked very tired and sleepy, and indeed they were, for a cruel giant made them fetch and carry water all night long, when they should have been in bed. 
So Manny put out a long, long arm and snatched up the children and set them in the moon, pale and all. And there you can see them on any moonlight night for yourself. But that happened a long time after the beginning of things. For as yet there was no man or woman or child upon the earth. And now that this pleasant Midgard was made, the gods determined to satisfy their desire for a home where they might rest and enjoy themselves in their hours of ease. They chose a suitable place far above the earth, on the other side of the great river which flowed from the home of mist, where the giants dwelt. And here they made for their abode Asgard, wherein they dwelt in peace and happiness, and from whence they could look down upon the sons of men. From Asgard to Midgard they built a beautiful bridge of many colours, to which men gave the name of Rainbow Bridge, and up and down which the god could pass on their journeys to and from the earth. Here in Asgard stood the mighty forge where the gods fashioned their weapons wherewith they fought the giants, and the tools wherewith they built their palaces of gold and silver. Meantime, no human creature lived upon the earth, and the giants dared not cross its borders for fear of the gods. But one of them, clad in eagle's plumes, always sat on the north side of Midgard, and, whenever he raised his arms and let them fall again, an icy blast rushed forth from the mist home, and nipped all the pleasant things of earth with its cruel breath. In due time the earth brought forth thousands of tiny creatures, which crawled about and showed signs of great intelligence. And when the gods examined these little people closely, they found that they were of two kinds. Some were ugly, misshapen, and cunning-faced, with great heads, small bodies, long arms and feet. These they called trolls or dwarves or gnomes, and sent them to live underground, threatening to turn them into stone should they appear in the daytime. And this is why the trolls spend all their time in the hidden parts of the earth, digging for gold and silver and precious stones, and hiding their spoils away in secret holes and corners. Sometimes they blow their tiny fires and set to work to make all kinds of wonderful things from this buried treasure, and that is what they are doing when, if one listens very hard on the mountains and hills of the Northland, a sound of tap-tap-tapping is heard far underneath the ground. The other small earth creatures are very fair and light and slender, kindly of heart and full of goodwill. These the gods called fairies, or elves, and gave to them a charming place called Elfland, in which to dwell. Elfland lies between Asgard and Midgard, and since all fairies have wings, they can easily flit down to the earth to play with the butterflies, teach the young birds to sing, water the flowers, or dance in the moonlight round the fairy ring. Last of all, the gods made a man and woman to dwell in fair Midgard, and this is the manner of their creation. Old Father Odin was walking with his brothers in Midgard, where, by the seashore, they found growing two trees, an ash and an elm. Odin took these trees and breathed on them, whereupon a wonderful transformation took place. Where the trees had stood, there were a living man and woman, but they were stupid, pale, and speechless, until Hönir, the god of light, touched their foreheads and gave them sense and wisdom, 
and Loki, the fire god, smoothed their faces, giving them bright color and warm blood, and the power to speak and see and hear. It only remained that they should be named, and they were called Ask and Embla, the names of the trees from which they had been formed. From these two people sprang all the race of men which lives upon this earth. And now all Father Odin completed his work by planting the tree of life. This immense tree had its roots in Asgard and Midgard and the Mistland, and it grew to such a marvellous height that the highest bow, the bow of peace, hung over the hall of Odin on the heights of Asgard, and the other branches overshadowed both Midgard and the Mistland. On the top of the peace bow was perched a mighty eagle, and ever a falcon sat between his eyes, and kept watch on all that happened in the world below, that he might tell Odin what he saw. Hadron, the goat of Odin, who supplied the heavenly mead, browsed on the leaves of this wonderful tree, and from them fed also the four mighty stags from whose horns honeydew dropped onto the earth beneath, and supplied water for all the rivers of Midgard. The leaves of the tree of life were ever green and fair, despite the dragon which, aided by countless serpents, gnawed perpetually at its roots, in order that they might kill the tree of life, and thus bring about the destruction of the gods. Up and down the branches of the tree scampered a squirrel, Ratatosk, a malicious little creature, whose one amusement it was to make mischief by repeating to the eagle the rude remarks of the dragon, and to the dragon those of the eagle, in the hope that one day he might see them in actual conflict. Near the roots of the tree of life is a sacred well of sweet water from which the three weird sisters, who know all that shall come to pass, sprinkle the tree and keep it fresh and green. And the water, as it trickles down from the leaves, falls as drops of honey on the earth, and the bees take it for their food. Close to the sacred well is the council hall of the gods, to which every morning they rode, over the rainbow bridge, to hold converse together. And this is the end of the tale of how all things began. End of chapter 1, part 1. Recording by phone.